0: On today's episode of Family Flowers Only, I talk to Alison Finnegan, wife of the late Anto Finnegan, beloved former Antrim GAA footballer and captain. In 2012, Anto was diagnosed with motor neuron disease, a disease he bore with great courage, strength and bravery. Along with his family, he worked tirelessly to raise awareness and funds for MND. Anto sadly passed away in 2021 at the age of 48. Alison and I spoke about the shock of diagnosis, the daily losses that come with MND, the devastation of having no treatments available to help with MND, and how she feels Anto is always with her. I hope you enjoy this episode. So, hi, Alison. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Yeah. You're very welcome, and you've come all the way from. Is it Belfast you've come Belfast, from? Belfast, That's yeah. me guessing, not even knowing for yeah. sure.
1: Belfast. Belfast this morning, yeah.
0: I was only ever in Belfast once, and I really feel like I need to go up again.
1: <laughs> it's good. It's a good city. Yeah, it is.
0: So listen, thank you so much for coming down. Like a few yes. people today, I only organised it in the last couple of days, so you're very brave to come down, and yeah. we've only just decided, you know, a couple of days ago, but um I know you've been kind of following the, the Grief Ireland page yes. and we've had a few messages over and back. Yeah. And, you know, obviously you're here today to talk about something that is difficult and it's very hard to have these conversations. But, you know, it is a normal part of life is grief and loss. Um, but sometimes it's it's unexpected and it's before people's times. Yeah. And so you're here today to talk to me about your lovely husband, uh, Anthony. Yeah. Yeah, Anto. Yeah, Anto. better known it's as Anto. Better
1: known as Anto. Yeah.
0: And I always loved to. I'm like, right, tell me about him. What was he like? Tell me the bars. Was he, you know, what type of guy was he? Let's maybe go all the way back to, I suppose, when did you guys first meet?
1: So we met in um, a GAA club, Lam um, Darg in Belfast in 1992. That was the first time I met him, mm. and um, he had sent someone that knew us over to ask me out. And I was kind of like, no, I'm not sure about him. <laughs> so um, roll on seven months later, he was still asking me out. <laughs> and um, we started going out then in November 1982. Oh, my God. So were you into GAA? Well, my daddy played GAA okay. and he's big GAA okay. now. So um, we would have went to the GAA clubs okay. at around Belfast, you know, at, mm-hmm. at the time. It was just everybody kind of w- within their own community. Mm-hmm. So um, and he was a really big player and sport was a big part of his life. And so you started going out in 92.
0: So tell me what he was like. Was he cheeky chappy? What sort of a guy was he quiet or reserved? What kind of a guy was he?
1: Aki's very brave, very kind, very strong. He had a really, really lovely way about him. Do You know, he he walked very easy Yeah. in his own shoes, mm-hmm. you know, very confident and um, didn't love himself or anything. And if you were to see any of his um, pictures in Gaelic, he was, would never have been trying to brush the her when he had her or never tweezing or any. <laughs> he wasn't he wasn't feign or anything. Do you know, he was mm. just very strong, a really good sportsman. Humble. And uh, yeah, humble. I'm really, really well liked. Mm. Everybody really liked him. People would be drawn to him, do you mm-hmm. know, so. Um, some people just he's have a good really man. good
0: energy, don't they? That yeah. People just
1: like to be around them. Yeah, he's a really, he had a real gorgeous energy and he's just very, very kind. Very kind to me and our two children and very kind to everybody, you know. And nobody would ever have said that they didn't like him, you know, mm-hmm. he wouldn't have talked about anybody else or.
0: And so tell me, uh, when you guys started going out, you were dating obviously first. Yeah. After you met him wait.
1: <laughs> yeah, after I made him wait for seven months. <laughs> and so then when you started dating, was it long after that that you decided to get married? So we both like different things. He was a real sportsman, but he followed every sport except for cricket, really. Really big GAA man. Loved the GAA, loves Antrim, do you know, and um, he had actually... He liked um Dublin actually, he would have followed kept close. He likes the Dublin mm. guys too, he'd have followed them closely. But um just any type of sport, hurling, soccer, so really, really sporty and I didn't really care less about anything like that. So <laughs> but we both shared a love of travel. Oh wow. And so we've done a lot awful lot of travelling, you know. So okay. we would have travelled we were going together five years before we got married. Mm. And in that time we'd done a lot of travelling. Did you? And then um when we got married. We continued to travel. Um, and then whenever our son was born, we were married two years. We would go to Thailand and we were beach hutting it for four weeks and then the last week we were in a hotel, where we were gonna do something fancy. It wasn't gonna be that dear, you know, staying in the beach huts and I had got my first set of injections and then I found out I was expecting Connell then. Oh wow. So um we went to sligo instead. The day we were to travel to Thailand, we went to and instead for the weekend, <laughs> which is the same. No offence to Slego, um, but I know bit of a difference. And it was almost um, concocted in the way that I didn't realise, but Antrim had a match. He played for Antrim and Antrim had a match on the Sunday. So we went down in the Friday and it just so happened that the match was 15 minutes away from our hotel. So we ended up on our weekend away, instead of going to Thailand, I was expecting Connell and um, we ended up at a match. He was <laughs> like, that's, that's worked out really well, uh, really, really well until it actually worked out. <laughs> so a bit of a fly man too. So, um, yeah, so everything our whole life was built around like sport. So we were just in the GAA family, you know, mm. and um, he loved it and we loved it, you know. So we, was he playing, uh, he was playing Gaelic for Antrim before you got married? No, he didn't. Okay. So he played, um, he played for club. He's a mm. dual player and was always a dual player. And then there was a time he was under twenty one hurling for Antrim. And then when the time came to make his choice, um, I think he had a choice of football or hurling and you couldn't play a dual for county and he chose um, football and he was our captain then for ten years. Wow. And beloved. By Antrim, now wow. to be honest, a really really good player, really strong. Um, has good friends in the GAA throughout, mm. you know. So um, he was so really really huge good, part yeah. Part of his life, yeah, huge.
0: So the GAA and, and all this. So you have your kids, and then your your girl
1: Ava. Ava. So then she's um she was born. So he was born in two thousand, um, and then Ava was born two thousand
0: and four. Oh, wow. And so, I, uh, you know, what was um, and like when the kids came along, uh, imagining a
1: proud. We are f- we're very very close, hmm. the four of us, extremely close, and we had our canal conno- booked on his first holiday, and it was um, sex and name unknown because we were booked. We had a book him because we booked in in advance, and we had the two of them traveling with with us everywhere. Wow. and we would have done France, all the reason in France. We'd have been there for four weeks every year and done a awful lot of traveling and he would have cycled. I had the kids in the back of the bike, and just really, really hands on. Mm. And um, he just loved them mm. and they just love him. Do you mm. know, it just really, really the four of us really close. And, do you know, after dinner, everybody has to do something, to tell a joke. And he always had a funny joke and they were like mortified. And, <laughs> do you know, and Chatting to people, always met people. Um, everywhere we went, people were always would have been coming over, chatting to him. I recognised you there, and I wanted to say or about something. And he just could have spoke to anybody. It didn't matter um who you were. You know, he just he was just very very easy, and he was a really really good father. You know, mm. it just makes it all that that yeah. harder to be honest. Absolutely, you know, it's yeah. sorrow. It's terrible terrible sorrow. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you know, it's it, when when I sit down and talk to people and you just, you know, go back to, as I said, going back to the start and you think about, you know, day to day life is just, you know, the usual, the chores, the dinners, the kids, yeah. work and all of that. And yeah, I suppose hindsight is just an amazing yeah. thing to have. But you look back and think you had
1: it all, you know, know, everything was so perfect. Life was amazing. So good. And you know what? We wouldn't have had any money, like, I yeah. mean, we did not have money, but I mean, what we would have done is we both worked, so I worked part time so I could pick them two up and he worked full time and he cycled to him from work and so I had the car. Mm. And then um, I'd always seen him, do you know, the corner of my eye coming by the window, the fluorescent jacket, and I would have batted him in and I would have been like, his timing is perfect. You know, like golden balls, like we had said, you know, he just this time is perfect. He's per- a <laughs> perfect player. He's perfect father, perfect husband, you know, he's just can you ever do anything yeah, wrong? You, you know, you couldn't even wrong. shout at him. And um, so everything just went like clockwork. And then we would have went away on our holiday or by co- we would have went away at Easter. And then we would have went away at, in our summer, we would have done four weeks in France, and sometimes we were in a tent and sometimes we were in a mobile, depending on the region and what type of facilities they had, you know, sometimes the tents were, you know, great to stay in, with toilets and everything. So um, we had done that and then um, sometimes we went away at Halloween and then we had a nice Christmas. Yeah, and that was us. We didn't have any money to be, we, were over, we weren't over extravagant with our house or anything, you know, it was Didn't just very, no, yeah. you just and yeah. we just loved holidays and mm-hmm. we love getting away. And as soon as we were getting back, we were like, what will we do at Halloween? But I had met him when I was 17. So wow. we grew up together. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. You, you almost become like each other in the way and you and we both shared the same values. Yeah, do you know, he's from a really good family and I'm from a good family. And we, we both shared the same values and what we wanted. And it's
0: such a deep um, a sort of relationship a deep love especially that as you say you know that you grew up together like you yeah. become your whole personality and life and everything from the age of 17 is, is yeah. formed together like it's such a deep connection and
1: yeah yeah and we're good friends mm-hmm. but, you know real good friends like it made me laugh and I would be he wouldn't be highly strong in any way and he wouldn't be dramatic. And he doesn't really like dramatics and I'm really dramatic. So, <laughs> but you then. know, yeah. And he just always would have been able to calm me down. I would have been coming down and we would, would have been going, getting ready to go out. And I would have been like, oh, my God, does, does my bum look big? These, these jeans make my. My bum look really big. And he goes, no, your big bum makes your bum look big, you know. And then I would have turned around and looked at him and then him and I had a laughter head out and he would have been, you're going to be the nicest person in the bar, I'll tell you. And I believed him because that's what he thought. And so just even for confidence point of view, and I'd be like, look at the state of me. I'm going to need to go and get my eyebrows done. He'd go, you're absolutely gorgeous. And he meant it you know so there was that friendship among us yeah. you know and um that backbone like yeah you know, we just had each other that
0: sense I suppose of no matter what like you had always had him and he was yeah you know, knew you so well as you yeah. said you grew up together and, and he had your back and yeah. just everything to you
1: he's a good person you know so um, very lucky. so
0: when you so he obviously played a lot of sport and you know, my take from that is he was obviously quite a fit man,
1: yeah, healthy, very fit. really. You
0: know, was that important to him, health and fitness?
1: Yeah, he was really fit. Um, He had been running. He was the captain. He was very well respected among all the teams. He was also captain in his club as well. And he was really respected among everybody and everywhere we went. We would spend a lot of time in Donegal. And you know, would you go and buy an ice cream even, you know, and you're just yeah. I'm always on a diet like and um, I'm like I'm <laughs> gonna get an ice cream and no sooner would you get it and somebody from the GAA would come up. From doesn't it have to be from Antrim, it could be from anywhere. Yeah. like, Oh, Don, how are you? and all that and you're talking and you don't wanna be getting wired into your ice cream so you're it's melting down your arm and I'm like, I'm gonna put a brown bag over your head. <laughs> Everybody recognises you and you just, you know, so everywhere we went, no matter where we went out for lunch, no matter where we were when we were in Mauritius, no matter where we were, we always met someone from the GAA.
0: I suppose that's the important thing, isn't it, about the GAA community? Yeah. It's, it's I'm not surprised people from other counties because yeah, each county know. They yeah, they know
1: each player, don't they? Like they yeah. know each player yeah. and they're very respectful of each other. Yeah. And um, I mean, it's it, a community, it, isn't it? Yeah, really? it's a big community yeah, and yeah. they're really, really um, kind to each other. Mm-hmm. And I, I we had had phone calls over the years of children and people in Leish or in Kevin the people had had children that were sick and maybe they were doing a, a match. And the call came when need players from Ulster to come up and he had always been one of them and they'd have been away and, you know, all helping each other. Anybody needs anything, yeah. a, 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 you know, through the, through the whole island. I mean, it's yeah. it's done. Yeah, it is. You
0: know, when you think about it, it's such a, you know, it's for our enjoyment in a way, isn't it? To sit back and watch GA, And, you know, of course, I grew up with it. Well, I'm from Roscommon originally, so we didn't have much to talk about. (laughs) Like like ourselves. the More than yourself. (laughs) (laughs) I live in Galway now, so I kind of jump on that bandwagon. It's a bit more to talk about there, but... You know, I I know that whole Sunday game theme too. Yeah. It really brings. I I don't follow it as closely now, but it brings me a lot of comfort. Actually, I was telling um someone there recently is that I really feel like oh, it reminds me of my childhood. That noise, yeah, that that's music and the Sunday dinner would have been on the chicken yeah. and All Ireland final, and it was just exciting. Yeah, but yeah, it is. When you look at it, it's deeper than that. It's a real community, like you say. Um, it's a real mucking mentality, and yeah. and you know, outside of the games, the players like Anto yes, giving off a lot of
1: themselves to it. Oh, and you know, it's not I mean, they have yeah. jobs as well. Yeah. So they're training, especially at county level, but even at club level night, you know, uh, yeah. and dual players and, and ladies. Also, the ladies are playing now and it's an awful lot of work. And so in the background, I mean, whenever I had the kids, Anto would have been away and because he was dual player, he'd have been away a lot playing and training and everything else and you have to be able I came from a family where the GAA was in our house anyway, so I would have been used to it. But there's a lot of people that I've known over the years that have been going with friends, of want those and they have all broken up because they were like, sure, he thought he was going to go training three nights a week. Are, are, you, are you serious? So it's almost like you become a team, you mm. know, you support each other. Mm-hmm. And it, because he was a way out and it said, GAA widows, you know, they're all the way or golf widows or any sportsman. Yeah, and you're yeah. married to any type of sportsman. And yeah. it's not like a professional sport where it's, it's your wages or soccer or rugby and you're getting paid They'll go to their job first. And then some nights they go straight home from their job straight to training. Mm. And there's a lot of them, you know. Yeah. Absolutely. Whether yeah. it's Antrim or whether it's Dublin, they're still going out to play, and they still have to try and play against the best to win. And mm-hmm. so yeah, he was um he was very very committed. Yeah. But same, he was committed to us too. you know? And we'd all been away on a Sunday, and he and he coached as well. So he coached Connell, and he he coached the juvenile teams. Really passionate about the juveniles, you know, and making sure and would have been very much a big believer, girls and boys, if we don't fill their time, somebody else will. And um, just to make sure that they were right and they were playing. So, yeah, he had a very full life. That's it. Yeah. It feels like, you know, there was no sitting down,
0: lazing about. the no. place. like it was a very full life. And his passion, obviously, was sport. Yeah. And um, it's nice to hear that, you know, it was such a huge part of his life and that. Yeah you know, it was his family and, and his sport was everything to him. Um so, you know, we look at people like that and think, Oh God, I'd love to be as fit and as healthy as them and mm-hmm. sometimes we get um uh blindsided by yeah things. And I know in Anto's case, um he had been okay, but was he starting to um have symptoms?
1: He was getting pains in his arms. Mm. And um, he, at the top of his fingers, um, had went black. And when we were actually in France, and he kind of was had been saying, "I get pains in my arms," and for him to say any type of pain, he he would. And I had said, "Well, I, I'm a medical secretary, so technically, I'm a doctor." And I was like, oh, I could be Reynard's, you know, with your fingers yes. going black. And just when you have the experience of just being a medical yeah. secretary and typing all the time and I says, maybe you go to the doctor. So that was at Easter in Paris and Disney with the kids he had kind of said. And then I never thought anything off and he never mentioned it again. And it was really at the end of the year. I had said um, he was taking down Ava's um, cut bed and she was going to do a, a bigger bed. And um, he trying to get the screws out, he'd be, be able to put his hand to anything. And he, he, was, he was dropping the screws and he just he says to me, my, my hands, I've seen pains in my hands. And I says, so his doctor, his GP was also the doctor for the interim team. So he knew him well. I says, have you went and seen Joe? And he says, no. And I says, well, you need to make an appointment with him and go and see him. So he went and seen Joe and Joe, just to be honest with you, he's a brilliant doctor. But when he had taken him off and he was checking his hands and he kind of had noticed that he had what they call nice fasciculation. I think that's the way it's saying for it. And it's almost like jumping your arms, like jumping, you know. Um, So he had fasciculation in the top of his arms and they were jumping. He went, what's twitching that? Almost. Twitching, twitching,
0: yeah.
1: twitching. And um, he, and Nanto says, I'm not sure it, it, it does that sometimes. And he went, oh, well, I'm going to get I'm going to refer you to neurology and then um, we'll get that checked out. So that was the start of it. And um, he had come home and then and had said to me, Joe's referring me to neurology. And I said, why? And he says, I don't know. And I don't know why I didn't ask anything else. I just, you know, he just said he didn't even mention anything to do with the twitching. And I didn't ask. He's just said he's taken bloods and he's referring me to neurology. So the appointment didn't come for neurology until about six months later. And when we went, so we went and they had said we're going to do uh, um, spinal tap. And then we got a letter um, one day and it kind of said in the letter, um, you're negative for MS and you're negative for like Huntington's disease. And I says, what's Huntington's disease? And he says, I don't know. And when we looked it up, it's a disease that runs in the family. It's a neurological disease. And I went, what are they? What are they? What are they checking you for? so I don't know I says no I want to I wanna see I want to see Joe Dugan I want to go and see him so we went down and Joe seen us and we went in and I said Joe like what is it and he says look Listen, this has been going on a year and a half now. All his bloods have come back. Every test, they're just, it's a process of elimination. And he, that was the first time motor neuron disease was ever mentioned that I had ever known it to be mentioned. And it was Joe Dugan who had said sometimes Um, there's a, have you ever heard of motor neuron disease? And we were kind of like, no. He says, look, well, the longer this goes on, the better, the more likely it is that it's not and you're fit and you're healthy, but that fasciculation can be a reason for having motor neuron disease. So we better to get you checked. It's a year and a half later, bloods, everything's coming back to say that you, it's not. So you're okay. And we were like, right, okay. So I'd come out of the car and I cried my eyes out. I had said, he thinks there's something really bad and all this here and all. He was, I'll listen. He just said, he told us about a man, like a patient over a year. Some people could have fasciculation and they've had it for 20 years and there's no reason around why they have it so I kind of had kind of settled myself and then so every six months for so for a space of two and a half years he would have went to neurology and the last one he went to he went and got a nerve conduction um thing done with the check your nerves and your signals for your nerves and it came back the letter came back as soon as the letter came in I looked at it and um the letter says fine absolutely fine and then we were in the France in the July And I could see someone in the water waving and um, I kind of looked and it was Anto but he was very broad and really muscular across his shoulders and I noticed and his shoulders looked really bony to me and he looked as if he had lost loads of weight. So I kind of stood up and walked towards the pool and I turned around and the two of them waved and then I said Jim Anto you look to me as if you're failed, you're failed across your shoulder and across your arms. And he says, no, I'm all right, no, no, he went. He says, it's because I'm not playing, because he retired. It's because I'm not playing. You lose that muscle mass, you lose, and because I'm cycling. And I was like, Kind okay, know, right, nice says when's your appointment? And he says, well, um, my appointment with the neurologist is on the 30th of August. But my next nerve conduction isn't until it was urgent but they can't give me one to March so I get on to the hospital and on the 30th he went into the Royal De Neurology and I was in work, I worked in the Children's Hospital and he says I'll run into this and i come up if you want to get scones and coffee and I'll come up to you so I went right okay so he rang me then to say God love him now and when I think about it he rang me from the main Royal and says oh that's me, I'm coming up now to meet you and I come up then and I come out and I had the coffee and the scones and um, he was sitting at our car and it was bit, quite blowy and there's nowhere to sit really around the Royal and we get into the car and he says to me, um, have motor neuron disease. I couldn't even. So I never went back into work that day. And so that was the start of it. So none of us knew what it was. We hadn't looked it up, but it had been mentioned to us before. And um I can't even remember what we'd done. I didn't drive home, I know that, and I didn't go back into work. What so that shock, was the start shock. of our journey, yeah.
0: And they gave him that news on his own?
1: And on his own and they sent him for bloods. And I always, always find this really, really hard. And mm. I'm not even sure if I've, I have probably have said it before, but they sent him for bloods. And in the Royal, the clinics are just them neurology, All the clinics, everybody placed on its knees. So he was sent in for bloods. And when he went, there was two nurses talking in the room and he kind of went in with his form and he says, I have to get bloods. And she says, well, excuse me, can you take a seat outside? And he'd just been told he had another neuron disease. Now, they don't know that. But know. see, then when he told me, it, I was infuriated. I, I was like, harder. You know, and then he was sitting there and I was like, why didn't you ring me? And then I was like, I should have went. But then meetings were ten minutes and he was out and then he was coming up to me and we were going to have coffee. So four days later, coffee and scones in the car. um, And we decided at that time we told immediate family. So we told my family and auntie's family um, just immediate and some really close friends. And we never told anybody else for nine months. We kept it a secret. And so I went into work. Um, So I never worked a Friday and this happened on a Thursday, Thursday the 30th. And I went back into work on the Monday and um, we never told anybody because we were afraid of anybody getting wind of it. And when we had looked it up, all we mm. could do was cry. Really? It's just not a nice diagnosis to get. So I wanted then a second opinion. So we went in and met for the doctor. It was actually on my birthday because it's my birthday shortly after. I, I've worked in the Royal for twenty seven years. I have absolutely no idea what door we went in, what room we were in, what the name of the consultant was, what he told us. Um, And then he had said, I think there's a girl as Clare Donicky had ended up just the angel doctor that he ended up having looking after him. She had an interest in motor neuron disease. And so we went with her to get a second opinion via the city hospital. And um, so then she she admitted him and done tests and, you know, and she just became absolutely she was just brilliant, um, Backbone but, for you know, both. she was just brilliant. Mm. But she had a specialist nurse called Allison, Allison Dick, and she was amazing. And she came out then to put onto on the register because you did be to the register and all when you have motor neuron disease. What, is, what does that mean? So she would come out and put you on like a laptop. And she, at that time she was like, so Wanto was 39 mm. and I was 36. Connell was 11 and Eva was seven. So we had wee young ones in the house. And um, she just said, look, this shock and she said it. And to this day, I say it to myself all the time. The shock is extremely hard to overcome. It's just so hard to overcome. And she says, and when we go in, it's m- mainly to be honest with onto it's older people. And I think you're our youngest. So he would have been the youngest at the time then. Now since then there's been lots of people diagnosed, mm. but she said and you could go into um into houses to put people on the register and they're in their sixties or they're in their seventies, which is in keeping with this disease. And they kinda go, Oh well, sure, you have to die of something, you know. And some people can look at it like that, although nobody wants to have any type of terminal illness. But she said to us, when, when you're young, when you're 30, 39 years of age and you have a young family, it's just there's just no rhyme or reason to it, she says, because it's a disability that comes along with it. Mm. And there's not like you can see it on a scan and it's not like you can try and cut it out. And there's no medication and there's no treatment. And she just had said that day, um, you'll never be as strong. Again, is what you are today. And, uh, and that was just it. So it was a very, very, very hard. Such a blow to take. I, mean, I think that there's, you know,
0: obviously, as I said on this podcast, we talk about grief, um, yeah. but I think there's a real living grief that comes with getting a diagnosis like that when there is no hope and no not a lot of um, you know, treatment or anything to support you like do, you know, that day when you stood by the car and he gave you that news. Yeah. Do you feel like, you know, from that moment you felt a grief wash over you?
1: For six weeks, we didn't cook in the house or anything. I don't even know. The kids were going to school and then after six weeks, we had kind of went, right, we're going to go oh, We're going go up to Tesco and try and get our own groceries here and try and do something. Um. And we were both standing with a trolley and we didn't even know what to get. And, you know, I would mm. have peeled potatoes, I was on a diet and peeled potatoes and peeled carrots. And I do you know that I have never, ever peeled a potato again.
0: Mm.
1: And that was he was diagnosed in 2012 because our just our life just changed forever. And because there was no sense, there's no sense to help you. So we were kind of like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And we can't, we couldn't tell. Colin and Eva just couldn't tell them. Mm. And Eva to make her communion. And Colin was only first year. And we were like, I just can't tell them. Yeah. And um, it was actually the consultant then. About nine months in, she kind of had said, and then when he was in hospital, loads of people, porters and all, right, on to seeing the match and all, and so it was top secret. And then the men in the ward next to him were going, "What are you in with?" and all, and that was going just investigation. And then everybody was near really wanting to know because people were like, "Well, what's what's what the big secret?" Yeah. And nobody, well, it was kept as far as we knew, nobody knew. And then it was just um we were sent to the um Marie Curie hospice that Dr Donaghy had said at the time like you not think that the no Connell's at the age where you could Google it's the way you used to are because every single time we were coming and seeing her every month at the time I kept coming in with something else so him and I were looking in the internet trying to find another reason what it could be and I was like could it be polio, could it be Parkinson's something where they could give you medication they're all equally terrible but there was nothing that could do to help him. Mm. So we were kind of like, could it be this? Could it be that? And she always took a bit of paper and she's like, Mrs. Finnegan, you're going to need to sort of try and, you know, like settle. And have you told the children yet? And we were like, no, we're not telling them and everything else. And she says, look, I know a lovely girl in Mary Curie Hospice. And um, I always remember her name. And it was because of her and our meeting with her that we ended up telling Colin Ava and we told them. So we went and met her in the June and um, she, she just had said, well, we, so we had a long conversation with her and she said, the two of you are quite very close and stay close and your strength isn't together and all this type of thing, she says. But they'll 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 sense, children sense that there's something up. And she says, she just basically said, why, why won't you tell them? and Anto and I, we were both very upset at the meeting, to be honest. And we went, well, we just don't want to. We're just trying to protect them. Um, We just don't want to tell them. And Mm. she just said one line and that was it. Then she said, well, by trying to protect them, you're protecting yourselves. What you're doing, you're protecting yourselves. And see, as soon as it was put back on us that we were protecting ourselves and not them. Because they are bound to have known there was something right. Mm. from um, McConnell went to St Malachy's in Belfast and they would have been saying he's got a demer because he doesn't have because uh, he's disorganized and I organize him. And in that time, he had, wasn't having ruler. He didn't have his ruler. It was for not being cheeky or anything. It was for not having the proper equipment. Mm-hmm. And sure, he wouldn't have been able to have the proper equipment. Sure, he wouldn't put socks on if I hadn't left them out for him. That's the way I would have had him. So the new the must have known. Um, so it's very difficult to uh, tell children, Ten. and I understand like why
0: you would feel that way because of course you're like I'm now going to break their hearts. Yeah. Like, why would you want to do that with your child? I know. But I suppose the advice is that you know, children are people as well, and yeah. they deserve to know, and it's it's a part of their life, and they deserve the truth. Yeah. Um. And it's 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 a very true point that she said is that you're protecting yourself. Protect yourself. And I get that.
1: Yeah. Y- you know. We just didn't want to hurt them or frighten them and because it's so dark. And because you're not looking up and you're not they're not saying, well, we'll go in and we'll give you an operation and we'll start treatment and we're going to give you this or there's nothing. Mm. And all it says is it's the worst diagnosis that you can get. It's a death sentence. People live two to five years and we just couldn't do it. We went and met with the Mother Neuron Disease Association and there was no leaflets or anything for children. There is now. And yeah. We helped actually with that, but mm-hmm. there wasn't anything. So we were going to France in the June and we took we went away with them for the day and we told them and we've never discussed. We, we told them. And then I rang my mum and Anthony rang his mum and said, the kids know. We don't care who knows, and um, we went then to and um, we went to France, and it would have been internet cafes. It wouldn't have been phones or anything, you know. Mm. The kids wouldn't have had phones, and um, one day, maybe a week and a half in, um, they got in, both got internet in the internet cafe and got ice cream, and Ava says, "Daddy, your pictures all over my phone." And then when we had looked, it, it was everywhere, so we were right to keep it quiet until. Wow. In Antrim, you know, like people ha- yeah. ha- had saying former Antrim player and and so it was everywhere and because it was so rare and then people were kind of saying, whenever we get back, um, hope you're all right, hope you recover, hope the consort, because nobody knew what it was. I mean, uh, that's an extra element, isn't it?
0: Yeah. To be, I suppose, a public figure. Yeah. How like that must have been so difficult to see your private life and this is your your story, your life, Anto's life, Anto's yeah. health. How did it, how was that for him and for
1: you to see that on a, in a paper? So when we seen it, we, we, we kinda went, Thank God we didn't say. We knew. Anto we can look listen, it's Antrim and mm. it's not um I don't even know of a big soccer team, Man United or something. <laughs> yeah. It's not like that type of I know but it's just in the GAA, and you're well known, and you're well thought of, and you're a good player, and because it was county Two and then he was he's beloved, and him yeah. everybody really really likes him, and then people were shocked he's fit doesn't smoke cycles to and from work. So people then so we decided to you time yourselves to. Yeah, we had the that day months. Kept, yeah. yeah, your time to come. Yeah, because
0: I suppose when there's something so shocking like that, you need that space and that time yeah. to get to grips with it yourself.
1: Yeah. And we yeah. I, I mean, never ever did because see when there's no sense to help you, you almost decide, well, then I'm going to go down this road. And so we've decided to go down a road of awareness, first of all, because if there's plenty of awareness and there's people talking about it. Then there'll be eventually more funding for it. Find a cure, all about finding a cure. People that are really in all different of all places of work pharmacy medicine everything all daa involved everybody had kind of said if there's anything that you need any type of drug anything any trials anything at all we came here and met Arla hardiman a couple of times and um give some donations to her and even onto their dna profile he came and he met her and she's just she was lovely um so even down so Both sides, north and south. Both, you know, he was getting all the help that he could. The MND Association here. He he got speaking to a girl here, um, Ireland, and then the one in Northern Ireland. You know, working really, really hard to get a cure, and he used the platform of being a Gaelic footballer to sort of try and help get it out there. Mm -hmm. You know, he never ever he done two private interviews the whole nine years, and they were with Paul Kimmage. And they're the only two that he ever done and they weren't even overly private. So he kept. So we very much stayed out of it. Me and Colin Eva stayed out of it. And he was the person that would have been speaking. And the whole Antrim team went with him on the first night they launched. And then we launched almost like a a trust um, called Determined, DTRMND. And um, Dublin come down and played at a select Ulster team in the rugby because casement had been closed at the time and that raised one hundred and forty thousand pound wow. for modern neuron disease. And wow. so and just doing and so him and Jim Gavin then um, got a bit of a friendship up, you know, and Dublin was very good then. And that's why he would be very fond of mm. them boys in Dublin, you know. That's incredible! Wow, what a so from both sides, oh you know, like all so that's the that community there, yeah, isn't it? Just anything that he would have needed. all both everybody would have said anything you need. Farm pharma, top pharmacies down in the south. Anything if there's anything, but there isn't anything. There wasn't anything, and that and that's the hardest thing to take. So we probably have been in the grief, but in denial. Mm. We're never angry. Or we were bargaining in denial because a few times we would have kind of went, well, sure, if you just said like this and there was no more deterioration, we, we would be happy with that. As long as it doesn't go to your lungs, as long as it doesn't go to this, as long as it doesn't go to that. And always bargaining. Like it's
0: with the terminal illness like that. It's terrible. You're not stupid. <laughs> you no. know, you know, and I'm sure you know, from the very first day of the diagnosis, the doctor is level with you and they yeah. tell you, like, yeah. look, this is not good um, and you're not stupid, like I say. And, and, and to an intelligent man yeah. knew that this wasn't good. But you do, as you said, to get through, you bargain and think, well, maybe, well, maybe and maybe they got it wrong and maybe it yeah. won't be so bad. And throughout all this time then, so how was his health?
1: Was there uh, was it um, progressing or was it kind of held? he walked well so I would have been 40 then and he had said to me I'll be walking you up the gangplank we were going on a cruise and he did but we brought a wheelchair with us because he had had a few falls um you know and like he had fell a couple of times when he was on his own mm. and he had fell a couple of times when I was holding on to on him and both of us had fallen so for his safety you know and then it's a case off if you don't use it you lose it so when he because when his legs were weight and he was falling so then when he was in the wheelchair more then mm. so then he would never have been able to walk again once he started using that regularly um yeah. But I remember one time it's like, it's a series of losses. Yeah, it, that's what it, motor neuron disease is. It's a series of losses, so it's and it can be very subtle. And for him, it was quite slow progression. But I mean, like one day he put his arm out to maybe reach a cup and it, his arm didn't go. And then he was like, flip, my arm didn't reach that cup there. And then when he went to do it again, he had got it. So then it kind of tricks you, oh, that's in my head. and uh, But that's it. slowly the neurons not sending. And then eventually then he couldn't lift the cup or he couldn't put a toothbrush to his arm, so it was his. Um, I don't even know if it was the upper motor neurons or the lower, but his arms. So first of all, his shoulders and arms were affected and then his legs. And there's some people and it's bulbar and it starts with their voice and their swallow. Um, it just depends on, but in the end, inevitably, it just turns into full-blown motor neuron disease and you lose the power to breathe and the power to talk and swallow. But for Anthony, it was um his legs and his arms. And when he was still walking, I remember him saying, oh, I feel like my thumbs, I feel as if I'm losing power in my thumbs, which is really, really Deal because without your thumbs, and I had said we had been go- we were going to the hospital a week later. I says don't tell them it's in the hospital because they're going to write that down and then that's going to be in your notes. And he says no, I'm not saying them. I says say nothing. We were like we're not saying, and we were both really upset about it. Yeah. And then two days later we were like we will we'll have to say, but it was just that initial the shock. So then given up. So you're losing the ability to, lift a cop to drive the left colony of it, you know, it just it's just a series of losses. And mm. every one of them losses it really, really, it's very, very hard. And it happens maybe over a period of six months where you're like, no, my thumbs definitely aren't working. No, I definitely can't reach for that cup. And so we, we we never had a bad day together, though. So he would have been really, really upset over a couple of days. And I'd have been like, right, well, we're just going to get up and we're just going to fight it and we just be on and, and then. Uh, and he'd have been like, right, that's it. No, we're doing this and then I'd have been upset, but never together, which is strange. Mm. Yeah. Well it's a hard fight, you you know.
0: It's you were in it together and yeah. As a team. Yeah. And hey, look, he he was the captain of a team. Yeah, conditioned to be yeah in a team and you were as well. And obviously you were when one wasn't strong the other one was. Yeah. That's how you carried carried both of yourselves forward. Yeah. It's particularly cruel, isn't it? You know, so it's, it, as you say there, that daily losses. So every single day is something else. And it's bad. Yeah, like it's it's something that something that no one would really understand unless they're
1: going through it. It's that daily slow um, loss, as you said. And you can't even envision so he had never ever got a cough or anything, and then in January, I don't even know it was the year before the January before COVID, February, he got the first chest infection, and he had no part of cough, and we never ever considered it, and so we were like, well, what do you mean? And they were going like, so his chest muscles, so we we need to clear our throat, mm-hmm. and we kind of just comes from your tummy, kind of. He, he, he didn't have a part of it. And we, we were like, I would never, it never dawned on us in a million years that so we were thinking, well, he's not going to be able to drive or lift and I can lift for him and I can't cough for him, though, you know, mm-hmm. so I was kind of like, right, try your absolute hardest. And, you know, we were really trying to will him to and just he was just losing the part of cough so we could kind <clears> of. <throat> but to be able to cough and that's the problem then when your, your chest you know, starts to get weak, you know, when he got over that. Um, it was the only um, chest infection that he had. And um, he got over that, you know, but for you, like f- when we see our loved ones, you know,
0: particularly with an illness and you just want to fix it for them and you yeah. want to do everything. And like that, you want to will them
1: and try and try harder. And there is yeah. no trying harder. And like, know, I just can't. That must have been so, so, so hard for you. So, so difficult, you know. It's um, oh, God love him, and he never ever uh, I mean this, he never once said, I don't feel well, I don't feel right. And I got very um, half anxious. Mm. I started to go because of so then, in the time, then I was diagnosed with a uh, autoimmune, and it was just pure stress, and it's nothing, even it's easy fixed, and there's treatment for it, but. I was really he was all make sure you get sorted out because at the end of the day, we need to make sure that um, we've got someone for a colony of our main priority. As long as they're healthy and they're happy, everything else will take care of itself. We need to make sure they're okay. Make sure they have an education. They can stand on their own two feet if they don't have us. And we just put our heart and soul <clears throat> into them too. And we were and we were like, we are not letting this beat us. We are. We really did, and he said to me, "I will not be parted from you three easily." I'm telling you that now, and you know what? I believed him, and I was like, "Well, I just not let the wind blow on you. The wind will not be able to blow on you without yeah, my say so." And so that's the road we went down because there was no sense. There was nobody coming in to say, "I'm going to give you this," or "I'm going to give you that." Do you know. So they kind of said maybe Vitamin and D would be a good thing to be on. Do you know, but um. Other than that, there there's nothing. Yeah, that's the, like that's the the horror really
0: of it. Yeah. it's when you have no options <clears throat> and no. It's really scary and lonely, and but you sound like two absolute warriors in the face of 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 desperation, I suppose, and and having no hope. Um, yeah, you're quite admirable to hear the way that you dealt with it. Like the, yeah. the we're not going to give up. Were there moments um, when you didn't have that? You know, was there moments when you both,
1: you know, were scared? I was afraid from the day and hour it happened. And to see when he had been in bed at night and I was lying beside him. And I would have sometimes went, I oh, woke up, he's not breathing. And I have woke him and. He'd have been like, no, I'm fine. And so there was that worry, you know, and he had said to me, you don't seem like yourself today or there'd be a couple of days. So in, in all our 29 years together, he never shouted at me once. But I would be shouting, I'd be squealing, get your homework done, get down, everybody, get down and all your dinner's ready and all this here. And then for a time, I must have been very quiet or in my own head you know and then one day I went right that's it see, see the Emmons and all they're absolutely round and all know what you say about your own kids but nobody else <laughs> yeah, could say it and I'd called them down he went there you are there I was going where's my wife where did she go she's disappeared and us wee mouse is standing here and it was only that day then and I kind of went I have been in my head and not getting on like myself and I just need to be myself now and so and so then, from then, he knew I was afraid. We never ever discussed about him passing away. I, I don't think he wanted to. Mm. Um, and I I didn't want to, you know. Um, so we and they said, kind of get your affairs in order because you have two to five years. Um, it turned out it was nine years, and um, we never got our affairs in order. So I I I was, nothing was in my name, so I would have looked after everything. Mm-hmm. And then when he wasn't able to cut the garden, I would have cut the garden. So I would have. It was almost shared. But anything to do with finance, he was really, really good on the computer, really good with maps, really good at booking. We still went everywhere. We still went traveling every year. Um, we just had to put a lot of things in place to do. It. <coughs> Excuse me, but we done it. Yeah. And um, and so I, I didn't know how to do anything like that. He just done it, and he was happy to do it. Do you know, and I, if I was going to a park run and I was going, I'm going to go on a wee tour and I'm going to go to such and such, I'm not joking, one second later, because he had the ideas, the um, address and postcode would have come up. And then he said, one of you go and put that in the something off for your mummy so that she can get, because without him, I wouldn't have been able to get, because he just sorted all the maps, anything electronically, you know, um, he just done that for me. Wow. And then I done other things for him. So we were a total team, do you know. So what supports was he getting then when you say the eye gaze? Is that um, a means of communication? So he got he was very, very lucky. His OT um, had said, um, we want to test this out. It's a very, very expensive piece of equipment and we would like to bring it into the house. Um, so basically, he turned the TV on, he opened the door. If we weren't there, you know, he opened the door with his eyes, um, emails, phone, turned the TV around, always would have had Gaelic on like, um, everything. And I, I can also um, do the light switches and curtains, wow. which we didn't have because we are all in the house, he was living in a house with a family. But his computer, it was just his lifeline then. So when he wasn't able to um, use, he had the eye gaze and it's even more sophisticated now and not a big machine like what he had. And he would have just put in and with his eyes and he really adapted to it really quickly because he's just brilliant. He's just really good at anything he put his hand to and was able to and he also banked his voice. In, in the case that he would have lost his voice, so okay. he banked his voice. So then that means sometimes if you hear people talking yes. and it's a, mich- a yeah. machine, mm-hmm. it would have been his voice, yeah. but it never came to that. He didn't lose his voice. So I saw that. W- uh, Charlie Bird has has that, doesn't oh, he? Great. Yeah. I, I've seen that guy on yeah. the Late Late Show. I yeah. think someone had told me about him, but I I wouldn't know that guy. Yeah. Uh, so he's, he's got really, that now. Yeah.
0: He's really highlighted it in, in Ireland, yeah. you know. um. You know one of the things I wanted to ask and it's it's difficult really isn't it because um, an illness like that you know my own sister had um, cancer brain tumour but did. it rendered yeah. her um, immobile Fuck. so she couldn't swallow she couldn't do anything in the end so in some ways I felt like that must be what it's like you know having MND yeah. because she couldn't it affected her brain stem so she couldn't feed herself couldn't lift her arms yeah. nothing but um, and like I found that difficult to see, you know, someone so full of life and so young yeah, and having to do things for them. And so, you know, did Anthony find that difficult, particularly as, you know, as a man and stuff that you had to. I'm sure help him, yeah, get dressed or go to the toilet and things like that. And it is, as I said, it's very private. Um, <coughs> but it's about raising awareness, and there will be so many people yeah. out there that will will relate to this. Yeah, that's a side of it that probably isn't talked about a lot, but it's it's very difficult, I'd imagine.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a younger man too, and um, our younger person, you know, and their yeah. dignity as well. Yeah. So I um would have helped onto it in anything he, he he would have needed, you know, and then he had and recently, then he would have had a team of people coming mm-hmm. in to help, too. But it's very, very difficult. And he never would have said he never would have complained. Really? And it's not something we talked wow. about. You know, he just didn't That's amazing. he just didn't ever complain. I he just like, took I would, it, you know, I know. And I I always would have been going, what is going through his poor mind? Yeah, yeah. You're trying to do everything you can to make things it's because you're, you feel helpless. Can't help him, mm. and you just go. He must be absolutely tormented, always, always smiling, really? always had a joke every morning before Eva went out to school. He was like Eva, and like he had a joke for her. <laughs> and the weck like wick jokes, just like his jokes are brutal. And they would have been like, "Oh, yous are two melters and stuff." And I would have been, I am saying to them and Santa would have been like, "No, all, oh, because that's what I want. I don't want them all pussy fitting around this. There is yeah. someone sick and all. I want them to say, "Yous are two melters and everything," because that's the way teenagers are about their parents. And so I want that this the house you to be to a house. S- just hold know, on and savour that bit of normal yeah, life. Yeah. yeah. And it was, you know, it was during COVID and the GP come up one day. I just and he had said, like, at that time, um, we're probably just sitting in denial. We we didn't notice it. I couldn't see deterioration in him mm-hmm. because I was with him all the time. And then I wouldn't have wanted to see it. No. Do you know, people when we would have seen him would have went flip who's getting weaker, Anto's not looking like him. So I d- d- didn't notice.
0: Yeah,
1: I really, genuinely didn't notice. It's because I didn't want to.
0: Yeah,
1: of course. Colin Eva didn't notice. We didn't notice. It's part of you trying to protect yourself, too, isn't
0: it? Yeah, you don't want to see what's happening.
1: It's just a it's a it's a terrible journey to be on. You know, it's and so Someone not there. You know. When the GP
0: came up and then when did things really start to change, I suppose, when you all realize that there was a deterioration.
1: So there actually wasn't one. Really? So we ha- went and seen the professor, a new professor on the Wednesday. And um, she actually walked him out to the left after. And the nurse says hey, she never walks anyone out to the left. Here's me, that's him. Here's me. Everybody walks him out Every- and she was all calling me by my first name and everything. And I was like, you're flipping with golden balls and all, keeping him them going. And um, that was on the Wednesday. And then on the Friday, um, he, he took on well on the Friday. And even into hospital on the Friday night, and we were down in the hospital on the Friday night, and we were put into a family room, and they kind of said like he's not too well, and and see to be totally honest with you, I knew you knew I wasn't getting it, and I really really wasn't getting it, and he was like, is there has he got any particular wishes or anything else? And I was saying, well, what do you mean? And they were going, well, he's not doing too good, and. I was like, well, I want to see him. And then we went round and he was sitting up. He was in like like a recess and it was during COVID. So it was awful. Mm. And there was people not well all around him. And I was like, there's people not well here at all. Like, I don't think he should be in here, but I thought he was in there because of COVID and, and the ambulance were going to bring him to the matter because it was his chest that he went in with. And I was like, he's not going to the matter because that's the COVID hospital. He can't be anywhere near COVID. So I stood with the ambulance and I said no. And they ended up having to ring the Royal. And um, my mummy and all, everybody was all good for you, good for you and all. So he ended up going to the Royal. And he was there. And I thought they were taking such high precautions with him because... Of COVID, how I just didn't allow myself. And Colin, the three of us. So then, at about two o'clock in the morning, um, they kind of were like, like, there's this man next, the guy next door didn't do well at all. I think yeah. So I we left, and they rang me at five in the morning to say he just couldn't get comfortable, and Colin was fixing me. He's like, Colin, nobody can fix you like me. Nobody can fix me like you because Connell's big and strong. Me and Eva would have been lifting in between us. But Connell big and strong and he says, Nobody nobody lifts me like you, son, see you. I would go to the ends of the earth for you. I know could trust you could and he so biz and um so we left and went home and at a five in the morning they rang me to say that he's been moved to a board. And I said, right. And I said, to on that, that early, socano says, well, I go to work and I says, go you to work. He works no nails. I says, go you to work. And um, Eva and I went down. I says, if I want to go down and see Daddy early and she says, we'll not get in. I says, we're getting in because we have the gaze to set up and we're, that's how we're getting in. Mm. So the wee sister on the ward said, no, um, you can't come in. And I says, no, he has an gaze. He's in that spare room. I'll give him his lunch and all because you don't have the staff and all this here. And I've. I have a pass anyway. I get it myself. But um, I was like, no, we're staying and everything. And she was like, right, we'll go in and set it up and then you just need to leave. So when we went in, he says, oh, I haven't slept a wink. They're saying, you've just missed the doctors. They're saying I have to stay here on a Monday because he went in on a Friday night. So he was just going to be sitting the Saturday and the Sunday just sitting. I says, here is, will you stay here? And I says, yeah, I'm staying. So then she kind of come in. She says, oh, have you set it up and stuff? And Ava set it up. And he didn't look at it or anything. He didn't go on to it. So we were sitting anyway. And then the nurse came in and says, I'm sorry, you're going to need to leave. And I says, I'll be honest with you. I'm not leaving because he can not press the button if he needs anything. And his eye gaze it's not really working. And that means and he's in the side room unless you just have somewhere for him to go out into the main ward. And she says, right, well, the two of you can't stay here. So um, your daughter's going to have to go home. So I left the hospital and I brought her home and put a put a wash and all out and said to her make sure that that wash is brought in that it doesn't get the damp in the night and I says when Connell comes home from work he'll come and get you and you can come back down and she says right okay and when I went back down again she was waiting and she says fill PPE for you you need to fill. so I had to instead of just wearing a mask she made me put on um do you know like their masks which like yeah, it's really, really so put that on and like then the you know, the gate blue. thing over my eyes, all blue, all completely cut out, and then I went in and he was sitting and he was sleeping and I was sitting beside him and he kept falling asleep, and then he'd said to me, he just woke up and he went, I feel awful, you're just sitting there and I'm sleeping and I says you sleep away, I says I'm on my phone it to yeah. be boring, and um Connell rang and says that's me finished work so what would have been about quarter past six and he says um. Well, will we get in to see Daddy? I said, saying nothing, just come down, just say nothing and come down. Mm-hmm. So we're up in the ward, up in the corner. Eva knows, so go and get her, because I sent her home earlier. He was like, right, I'll go and get her. So that was the last I spoke to him. Even my stomach, even thinking about it. So um, he time. says, um, he he says to me, um, oh, I don't feel well, and I mean this. He never ever says that. I don't feel well, and I said. Um, Right, well, what are you thinking on? Oh, he says, I feel too warm and I'll take that sheet off me. So I took the sheet off and I was kind of fanning him down and, and I was roasting. It was ro- roasting. Mm. And he went, I don't feel well, I, I actually, I don't feel well. And I went, right, well, so I went out and I said, the sister, he said he doesn't feel well. And um, she says and she kind of popped her head in and seen his machine. And she kind of went, no, well, everything looks OK. And I went, no, he would never say, he would never say he doesn't feel well, he feels too warm, he would never say that to me. And she was like, right, well, sure, I'll go and have a look and see even if we can get, maybe he's getting anxious and maybe see if I can give him something. To kinda. And then the doctor came to the door and he says he can't have anything, um, even can't give him anything to settle one because he's already had stuff. He says, I've been here all day. Nobody's just given him anything. He hasn't had anything. He says, no, he had something to um, settle him earlier. I says, go and get, get someone else. I says, no, he didn't. Then I come back and went, oh, no, he's not allowed anything to settle him for his breathing, you know, just in case it labored his breathing. He said, sorry, that's my mistake. And I said, because I knew he hadn't got anything and we weren't asking for a set of for anything. So I went back in and I went, he went to me, oh, I don't feel well at all. I feel too warm and I went right so I kind of pulled the quilting all off him and I went it is warm in here and he says to me would you stay here the night and I says yeah and he says we are not going to let you I went I have my own pass I'll start murder and he went to me I oh, like got there and I went right so don't worry and um he just looked up and he didn't look back down and I went onto onto and he didn't answer so I ran out and I got her and I said, no, he's in the middle of talking to me and he's not answering me now. He would never do that. And she came in, she saw all, Anthony, Anthony. And she was pressing on his shoulder and his eyes were closed and he wasn't answering her. And um, she, I don't know, I don't even know what time happened. I don't know anything, but there was two doctors in the room. And um, she was, Anthony, Anthony, and called for the physio. And the physio came in and says, I think there's a wee or a wee blocked. Somebody said that. And he says, will I go down his nose? you know, to go down his nose and try and clear it. And she went, no, I think he's going to pass away. That's just how quick it was. And um I don't know what type of sound or anything I made, but um, Colin and Ava were out getting all their stuff on. And Ava said, she doesn't remember what the noise was, but she went, Colin, that's my mummy. So he came in and he went, mummy. And I, I didn't say that to them. And, mummy, what's wrong? And I went, oh, they're saying your daddy's not, doing too well here, Connell and our call went, Daddy, like got there and he opened his eyes. Well, I think he opened his eyes, so I went, he opened his eyes. And then they were like, Anthony, Anthony, you know, and he, he didn't answer. And they just went, no, kids, your daddy's going to pass away. So. Um, and then that was it. I don't even know what time. So it was eight o'clock, but so maybe two hours. But I just don't even, although I never get out of that hospital room. But I can't remember. Everything's very, very sketchy. Yeah, you know. So, um, so he didn't know. He did, you know. And then someone had said to me, "As uh, someone said to me, their hearing's the last thing to go." So I that really unsettled me. And then I spoke to um, his GP who we know at the wake and he explained everything to me. But I couldn't remember what he told me because I don't have any memories. Mm. So then we arranged for Colin Ava there for him to come up and speak to me again. And he said that hearing the last thing to go is when you're sitting and maybe you're waiting for someone to die and they're medicated but there's no people's around them and it's so lovely and you have your family all around you he says in this case it was in minutes for Anto and he went unconscious and your level of consciousness goes down as he closed his eyes your level of consciousness goes down so don't you worry about him hearing you crying or screaming or scaring him if he could have answered you he would have if there's anybody he could have answered, it'd answered you. so the fact that he wasn't answering, he wouldn't have heard event he, he simply just went to sleep, mm-hmm. and he didn't know he thought he was getting out Monday. it doesn't make it any easier for us, yeah but um oh God love him' Because he wanted to live, do you know and um he didn't want to leave calling ever like, but um, oh God love him, but he does not know. <laughs> And he fought so, so hard and, you know, and if he could have stayed, he would have, you know, he would have stayed in a wheelchair, not able to, he would have done it to be with us. He would have, he was suffering, you know, so he deserved to not be afraid that he deserved, he deserved not to come in and say, look, you're going to pass away this weekend. He didn't know him and I were talking. We were in the middle of a conversation and he just... So it turned out anyway. That's what it was. It was a, so it wasn't even real. well. It was to do with d but it was a, wee yeah. blockage in a we block each and as our way
0: didn't. There was no struggling or no, gasping no struggling for breath and nothing. You probably took a little bit of comfort just seen him just See, fall asleep.
1: Yeah, he just went. Th- and that's what he said, because obviously when that our wave was blocked, the oxygen and the carbon dioxide. So it would be like people, they're just sitting and they've been exposed to that and they just fall asleep. Go asleep. Yeah. So he just went. So he deserved but to what be able to a, go asleep. I mean,
0: for you guys, um, that morning, you had no idea that that would happen. No. So while he had this terminal illness. Yeah. And you knew, I suppose, in the back of your mind somewhere that one day... He yeah, would, he will go.
1: But I suppose the shock of that the shock of it. What do you do? Like we've never had a uh, we've never had a loss. And it's just a complete blur, Yeah, do you know, and um, never known sorrow like it. It's just a massive, massive loss. Just, do you know, and I, I know I didn't survive because I was like, I don't feel right. I don't feel the same, but I just didn't survive it. I'm just a completely different person. I don't even look the same. Do you know when you look at yourself? Yeah. I don't even look the same. I don't feel the same. Don't act the same. Just didn't didn't survive it. Do you know yeah. that that the, the person that I was then just went. Wow.
0: Well, Not yeah.
1: him. Do you know? Yeah. Just don't I survive it.
0: What you mean? Yeah. That you. The old you just yeah. dies with them. Really, yeah. doesn't it? Do you know? I just. So You're just a new life now, and it's one that you yeah. didn't choose nor no. want. Obviously, our loss and our grief is, is, is all encompassing. And it's just it's our whole world and it's yeah. our whole life. But it's what it's what about
1: them and what they're missing Don't want him to. Mi- and, you know, he's so much to give yeah. to so many people. And it's just it's just something you just don't get over and it doesn't it's not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing to carry. And for me, I, I, I feel it's worse. Yeah. this year because last year I was trying to argue. I had to ring banks and find out what my direct debits not were I didn't know what any of them were so obviously a year of busyness and complete another blur but this has been just terrible Yeah, you know it's just it's not it's not nice you just don't feel like yourself no it's horrendous do it's know? the worst thing that you'll ever go through you do know? you feel um, do you feel like a bitterness or like um, anger do you feel anger I don't feel any anger, but you know, I didn't realize. But from November to February, I was very depressed, and and hadn't I hadn't crossed the door, and hadn't went out, wasn't washing my hair, my hair was matted, and I didn't even know. But it's depression, but in the form of overwhelm, which I had never heard of before, and okay. overwhelmed. So to go up and make the lunches for the kids, or to go and wash your hair, or even remember to wash your hair, or go I. it's just, just everything's just too much. I wouldn't be for to go on getting up at half five, getting onto sorted, getting out to work, coming back, organising house, organising holidays, wheelchairs, hoists, just doing, being so busy to not being able to put a wash on.
0: Yeah.
1: Like, oh, total over and not even proper it not it being breaks, able to do it. it, it it's,
0: it's, it's like it's broken your soul almost. Isn't yeah, there? it's like everything is a, a challenge and everything's I, a know, challenge grief is oh God like you know sometimes people if they don't understand depression or overwhelm like that yeah. it's like until you understand how hard it is to yeah. get out of bed it feels like Mount Everest I just can't
1: yeah. get I just could I can't not, explain not that get that to do it. Yeah. and I would be I would have been like Onto Jose day, we're up, we're in the wheelchair, we're up, we're right, we're get yourself up, get yourself washed, get yourself it. Not having any idea what depression in the form of overwhelm was. And I mean, get going, even changing pajamas. And something and I would never have been like that. And I only realized really in the February. Well, it was my mum and dad then we're going to have to go and speak to someone because I would my dad would call up every day and I would be talking to him and pictures were disappearing off the back of the wall and all. And he looked at me as if he was in the garden and stuff you know, almost like I'd say and then if I had to, so I'd be driving to the grave and then I would be driving down and then I'd be like, where else have I to go? What am I to do? And then I would be home and I'd be like, why did I not write a note to say that I needed to get milk or I, I, I feel like you're going crazy. Nearly. Just going, losing the mind. You know,
0: there's a, a, a term for that. I heard it's called and I, I don't know how, how you feel about the term widow. <laughs> Some people hate that
1: word. Yeah, I but don't. It's, yeah, it like, it's, it's not yeah. nice, is it? No.
0: But a lot of ladies I've spoke to said it's like it's. One girl said it's called Widow Brain.
1: Oh, right. Well, it's yeah. like a brain fog. Yeah.
0: But I experienced that too. I remember going through straight through a red light after my sister died. Yeah, like, it's trauma. I feel like your head is so busy. Yeah. that It's like, um, you know, if you're out in the cold, all the blood will go to your organs to protect them. Yeah. I feel like your emotional energy all goes to your to protect you because yeah. you're going through this. What has just happened? And it's all, you can't think about anything else. And that's why you're like, what was I supposed to do? Because all these tabs are open in your head. It's like an internet browser. There's just so much open in your head that when someone tries to talk to you, you're like, I can't hear a word you're saying. My head is too busy.
1: It's like nothing makes sense in the world. Yeah. And you're kind of looking and things are moving. Yeah. And Christmas happens Mm. and things happen and people are having fun and people are enjoying and laughter. Even sounds startle you. Because it's not as if you're here and has went but you're just and then physically but you're not, you're not there. well. You're not, you're it's not just. there.
0: Then you start like unnecessarily beating yourself up. I <laughs> like know. When you're already in rock bottom yeah. and now you start with the guilt and the, yeah. the shame and oh my God I need to clean the house and yeah. you know for anyone grieving now I think we both could vouch for you Absolutely. know do not beat yourself up. No. Like you just have to do what you do to survive. Yeah.
1: Life's hard enough. Yeah. It's so hard and it's a it's, Journey that nobody that wants to be on, you know, and everybody yeah. knows that's in it. It's grief, you just got it, feels like pain. Mm. It, it's actually, it it's feels physical, like physical yeah. pain. Yeah. I feel like you're down. Yeah, you do. I, 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 I kind of go, Am I going to survive this? Do you know? And then you kind of think of all the time and the energy and the heart and soul that you put in to these two kids, and now you need to make sure. That they're like, and I was like, well, if I can get Eva to she's 18, because then she'll not need me. Oh. And now she's 18 and a year and a half later and she is 18 and um, she really does need me. They'll always need you.
0: There absolutely can be happy times.
1: There can yeah. be happy
0: times. It's just possibly doesn't feel like that right no, now. No. It doesn't
1: know? feel. It just doesn't reach. Yeah. It doesn't and reach the eyes of who it is. And, and you, know? you know, it just doesn't. How
0: you feel is how you feel. It's okay. You you know, you, there's no sense in trying to say I should be this way now and I should you know, how you feel is how you feel. And yeah, you know, it's all valid and even though you mightn't realise that you are, you know, you, you got up and you came here and you spoke to me. And there's so much life in you yeah. and fighting
1: you. I can't believe I was able to come and speak and not yeah. be crying. My mommy and daddy will be like, well, if she's not gardening <laughs> all day for Kathy, then basically she shouldn't be gardening to also, you know, for it to be able to do it. Yeah. Just because yeah. I wanted to t- tell about him and tell a story. Yeah. And, you know, so it's important.
0: It is important to talk about it. And, you know, there's just so many people, unfortunately, that will be listening to this yeah. who have know the pain and have lost somebody yeah. or as you say, is losing somebody slowly. That's the real cruel side to something like that. It's the losses every single day, you know, and it's it's torturous. And it's, you know, you sit here in front of me and I look at a woman who is, as I said, so strong to be able to sit here and tell that story. But what a what a hurricane or storm you have weathered daily, getting bed up that that takes some time to try and rebuild yourself, because as you said, You're now a new person, unfortunately. A new person. Someone you didn't ask to be. No. But, you know, you have to rebuild, but that takes time to rebuild, you know. I suppose, the coping mechanisms to be able to to get through day after day after day after day. It's really, really difficult and it's a hard journey. You know,
1: it's a hard to envision, too, because my life is tied to him. Mm. So he's my husband. So our children, what we want is education for them and to go off to university and roots and wings for them. Mm. You know, before us, we were going to travel the world and he did all these plans and he was going to cycle in all these places and You know, so it's the loss of hopes and dreams that we had together shared, you know, where you're always gone when they're bigger. I'm going to do more hours when they're bigger. We'll have a wee bit more money or we're going to do this. So all that's gone. Yeah. So but loads of people have and I get loads of comfort out of it. Loads of people have said to me, he will never leave you. Yeah, you and him, he will never leave you, he's Mm -hmm. always with you. Mm -hmm. And so I have taken comfort in that and I kind of go anything that I'm going to do anywhere I'm going to go, I'm taking him with me because he won't ever leave me. But even if you think about today, I mean, your reason for coming here was was him.
0: Yeah. So he's you're here for him and with him. Yeah you know he he comes into this room with you yeah cuz i get to hear about him yeah and i get to see what he was like and hear what he was like and so like he he lives on you know have you heard that um saying where they say you die twice once when you die and a second time when someone says your name for the last time
1: yeah, and that's a gorgeous thing to say. Thank you, because he has actually been quoted saying speak a man's name and he'll never be forgotten. Oh, really? And um, he, he would have always yeah. said that, you know, so yeah, I always I, talk I, about I love him. that saying. Yeah. I think it's important that you keep them with you. Absolutely. He lives
0: on through
1: you. Yeah, you know, and you have to just be through Connell and Eva, and they're both like him in personality. <laughs> and they both walk easy in their shoes wow. so I can just see their daddy in them. So thank God, you know, I'd mm. be very proud. Um, the work
0: you've done and continue to do, raising awareness around MND yeah. is really um, important and it's very inspiring. And I know how difficult it is for you to probably sit there today and to do this. Um, But I would love to just say thank you so much for coming. No problem. Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you.
0: You have absolutely done him proud today. My God, how proud would he be of you?
1: I know. He's a good person. So I love him. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you.
0: Well, I think it's almost impossible to fathom just how hard it must be to have a devastating diagnosis like MND visit your household. But I think Alison articulated so well just how difficult it is when there are no cures or treatments available for an illness like motor neuron disease. She spoke so beautifully about her beloved Anto and has brought much-needed awareness to something that many people have to carry on a daily basis. You can find out more about Alison on Instagram at XOX and you can also visit their website www.determined mnd so it's dcom as always if you have enjoyed this episode I'd really appreciate if you could get the word out there do whatever it is you need to do rate share like whatever subscribe I really appreciate you sharing the word thank you all and I will talk to you next time